Hey, howdy, space nerds. This podcast is powered by its listeners. You can show your support by picking up your own Are We There Yet mission patch, designed by patch artist Tim Gagnon. Show your support for our efforts to explore space exploration by going to wmfe.org patch. Thanks. From the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida, this is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question, Are We There Yet? Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. We're just months away from the first launches of NASA's commercial crew program. Private companies like Boeing and SpaceX are poised to launch astronauts to the International Space Station from right here in Florida, a first since the shuttle program ended in 2011. A few episodes ago, we talked with some of those astronauts and got a briefing on what the program actually was and what's ahead for commercial crew. Well, on this episode, we're going to go in-depth with one of those first astronauts launching to space sometime next year. Chris Ferguson is a Boeing astronaut, and he'll command the first crewed mission of Boeing's Starliner. It's a bit symbolic that Chris is heading back to space. He commanded the last space shuttle mission to launch from U.S. more than seven years ago, and he'll be one of the first to return this country to the launching business. Earlier this week, I sat down with Ferguson to talk about final preparations going into the first few flights of Starliner and what he misses most about being in space. Chris Ferguson, thanks for speaking with us. Uh, it's great to be here, Brendan. Thank you. So we're pretty much just months away from the first test flight of Starliner. There's the orbital test flight uh, later this year, maybe early next, followed by your mission, the crew test flight in mid-2019. In mid kind of walk us through the preparations that the, those vehicles are going through and, and what you're doing to prepare for that, that first flight. Yeah, so as you had seen, uh, they announced a, a crew uh, for, uh, for several flights back in, in early August. So we're right now in that transition, at least I'm personally in the transition be, between being a, sort of a, a, a program guy into uh, into uh, back into my old former role as, a, as an astronaut so and this is it's an interesting time because having a commercial astronaut is a little bit of a different twist and especially as we're, we're sort of meshing with um, those my former colleagues in NASA astronauts so uh, that we've been making that transition as a matter of fact uh, tomorrow I'm headed out of Orlando to uh, to Houston Texas for training so in addition to learning all about the Starliner which I Fortunately, had a hand in helping to design, and uh, so I know a little bit about it, but we're training as a crew. I'm also learning about the International Space Station because uh, we're going to go back there for, um, for a period of time, hopefully shorter, but we'll stay longer if we have to. Uh, so personally, that's the transition I'm going through right now. Uh, as far as the spacecraft themselves are concerned, uh, we, uh, we have three um, crew modules, the, the portion that we'll reuse up to 10 times. Uh, in a various state of construction at our facility in a really cool place, and that is uh, the, one of the same buildings that used to house uh, the space shuttle. Mm -hmm. So so it went from, uh, it, it was repurposed from uh, a, a one great place to just another great place. And uh, it, it com looks completely different. It looks like a modern uh, factory on the inside, and, and we manufacture service modules, which is the part that pushes around the the, uh, the crew module on one side, and we manufacture the crew modules on the other side. So we have... Um, we have three in a various state of uh, construction right now. We're actually on the threshold of shipping one of them out to our facility in uh, El Segundo, California, where it will go through uh, thermal vacuum testing. And that will last uh, a few months, and then we'll bring it back and get it ready for the crude flight test. After that, 
The entire assembly team will descend on what we call Spacecraft 3, which will be our first uh, real flight vehicle without a crew, uh, as you had mentioned, uh, early next year. So it's getting pretty exciting. Uh, it's, a, it's a great time for, uh, for the team. And, uh, and this, I think, has really energized uh, the, you know, the, the, the attachment of a crew to this has really energized our team. And I think they are tangibly feeling as though this is, this is definitely real. Now you have a unique position because you are not only flying on this thing, you're an astronaut for Boeing, but you're also spearheading the program, right? I mean, what, what kind of, what's your work day like? That's going to be incredibly busy. Yes. Spearheading is probably a, a broad classification. I, I help the program manager where I can. I, I try to put uh, a little crew flair into a lot of the design elements. And as I've said before, in different venues, it's my fingerprints are all over it. Um, I have, you know, as you probably know, some shuttle experience, and I, I do recall through the, uh, as we sort of put the shuttle away after 30 years, uh, we always criticized some of the design elements on the space shuttle saying, why on earth is that there? We just didn't need that thing. And uh, my, my, my uh, I guess my personal goal was to avoid having elements like that in, in the Boeing spacecraft. I, I think I've largely succeeded, but invariably in the, in the coming years, I'm sure folks will point at me and say, that was a bad idea, but so far nobody has. Um, but but it's, it is, it's a very interesting role. And, and I, I did sort of play the program part, I think pretty well for the first several years. And then in the last year or so, I've really tried to divest myself of making program-related decisions and, and focus more on, hey, what's important for the crew, right? What's important for uh, crew comfort, crew survivability, you know, really to bring the crew element into it. And, and I, I have a little bit of experience with that. So it's been a real nice uh, synergistic approach to sort of putting the icing on top of the cake, if you will. So, I, you know, I said for the last year or so, that, that's been my role. And now I am really going over to, you know, more 80% in the, in the crew training working with, uh, with a brand new space, spacecraft and space crew. Now, Shuttle and Starliner are, are vastly different. Um, has training been very different for you when you're trying to go from an orbiter to a capsule? What have you had to learn? What have you had to forget? Yeah, so there's, uh, I mean, it, it, there's one key element that I think uh, has really uh, made training a little bit easier. It, with regard to the Starliner, it's autonomous. So it's designed to find the space station, uh, designed to fly the rendezvous profile autonomously and then, and then dock without the assistance of astronauts. Now that doesn't mean that the astronauts don't have a responsibility. They can always intervene uh, and, and take over manually if needed, and then they would return uh, whatever condition that precipitated them to take over, they would eventually return it back to the autonomy when that condition is rectified. Um, it's a little bit of a different role for astronauts. I remember in my, in my prior role, you know, the, the the space shuttle was a little bit more of a stick and throttle type vehicle. I mean, you got to fly it, and because there, there was no there was no choice in a lot of cases, you had to fly it. Um, so it, it's um, but but what where we try to sort of ground this is the primary mission of the astronauts. It's our customer is to serve aboard the space station for six months. It's not to learn how to get back and forth. So we look upon this as more of a, a vehicle, like a taxi to get you to your destination where you do your real job and then you take a taxi back home again. So the, the training should be condensed. Um, that said, this is the first time we've done this. So we want to understand every element. And I think as we get a flight or two under our belt, we'll really begin to appreciate what the astronauts need to understand and what they can entrust to the ground control team and to the automation to perform for them. Looking ahead to your flight, can you walk us through what's going to happen 
morning of or, or night of your flight, starting from those preparations and, and getting up on on the launch pad and then getting into that capsule. What 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 do you do? Yes, yeah, so this is a this is the fun thing we're getting to do right now. As I mentioned, the crew preparations are sort of the icing on the cake. Once you've once you've you know, made the dinner, baked the cake, you get to put the icing on it. So we really are beginning to lay out the choreography for when does the crew arrive at the Kennedy Space Center? What do they do when they get there? Um, you know, of course, there's a quarantine period. That hasn't changed. You remember from, from the Apollo days, we would quarantine astronauts. That's no different. So matter of fact, I think the quarantine period is likely to expand uh, beyond uh, what we were used to in the shuttle as a part of an international agreement that we have with all the partner nations who manage the space station. But the crew will be in quarantine. Uh, they'll have a few exercises that they need to perform in that last couple weeks. I would imagine that they'll show up at the at the Kennedy Space Center oh, about a week before flight. And then, uh, you know, the morning of will be pretty much like it was the morning of a space shuttle flight. Uh, you'll wake up, dependent upon when you rendezvous and dock, It could you could wake up four hours before launch. You could wake up um, 13 hours before launch. It really sort of depends on the phasing uh, and, and where the International Space Station's crew day is, where your crew day needs to be. Um, but, uh, but we'll wake up, we'll have breakfast, you know, we'll say it's a short uh, four-hour period. We'll have a quick breakfast, get a quick physical, get the weather briefing, get suited up, and uh, all that process we can probably, we can easily squeeze into about a, uh, an hour and a half or two and get the crew on their way. Uh, you won't see the familiar crew transfer van, you know, the Airstream uh, trailer, I think that's been sort of, a, or the, uh, the RV I, that, that, that we're familiar with seeing, but I think we have a surprise or two in, in store. You know, this is a, it's a new commercial market. There's opportunities out there. But, uh, but about two hours or so, uh, we'll get strapped into the vehicle. The, uh, the crew that strapped us in will lock the hatch and uh, leave us to our own for about the last hour prior to launch. And how long will it take for you after launch to, to get to the space station? Yeah, there's um, it, a, a lot, again, is dependent on what we call orbital mechanics. Uh, in the best case, it could be about six hours. Um, those opportunities only come up about a couple days a month, though. Uh, more likely, we'll launch. Um, we'll, uh, we'll follow the vehicle as it goes through its checkouts on orbit for the first few hours, and then we'll go to sleep for a night. Uh, wake up eight hours later as the the, uh, the spacecraft gets ready to initiate its rendezvous profile. So anywhere from six to 24 hours is what we shoot for. Again, uh, dependent on a few things that are out of our control and that we really won't have a, a firmer handle on until about a month away from launch. We see how high is the space station. Has there Have they done any orbital maneuvers recently that could change the trajectory and, and as a result change perhaps what day we dock on? I mean, that, that could be a long time. Is, is that cramped quarters? Do you have everything you need for, for 24 hours when you're in there? Uh, you do. Um, you know, I, I liken the shuttle to an RV, right? You could camp in it for a long period of time. Um, you know, spending uh, a couple nights on the, the Starliner will be more like wilderness camping. Um, so you have, uh, but you have everything you need. You have, uh, you have rudimentary toilet facilities, you have the food, you have the water that you need. And, you know, it is, it's a small vehicle, smaller than the shuttle, of course. But everything expands in space. Uh, we don't worry about X, Y. It's floor, not floor space. Uh, every uh, cubic inch is usable in one shape or form by an astronaut. And, and uh, I'm sure we're going to be very comfortable for, and again, it's just uh, at, at most 24 hours. So it's not like you're, uh, it's not like you have to spend a long period of time with your best friend looking at his face, many days anyway. And then the undock time to landing is about the same. It's about six hours. So uh, shuttle took a couple days to check things out, but, uh, but six hours would be a quick trip home as well. So they won't be uncomfortable for that long. 
Now, you mentioned a, a lot of the um, equipment on the, the Starliner is autonomous, right? You know, it pretty much flies itself. What role do you play in that initial docking phase, uh, uh, th those last few moments before you get to the International Space Station? Well, early on, of course, these are going to be test flights. Um, and uh, I think everyone is going to be very uh, close to the manual controls. Um, we, we can fly just like the shuttle could fly. As a matter of fact, we use the same control system uh, with a similar sort of sense. In other words, if you want to go up, you take your hand controller up. I mean, it flies just like the shuttle did. Um, so we'll watch very closely just to make sure that the autonomous system, uh, what we call the relative navigation system that tells you exactly where you are in relation to the space station is performing exactly the way we intended to. Uh, if it doesn't, we can back out. We can, you know, check a few things. Um, and, uh, uh, but it, ideally you are just a systems monitor watching the whole thing evolve before your very eyes as you come into uh, what I'll, I'll call the, uh, uh, the electric ride into uh, into docking and uh, you end your home for six months. You mentioned a lot of things on shuttle that you wish weren't there. Um, thinking back to shuttle, is there something on Starliner that you wish you had <laughs> during the shuttle days? Hey, that's a really good question. I haven't been asked that. I'll, you know what? The best time to ask me that question is after we, after we get back okay. from the first mission. <laughs> um, you know, I, maybe more food, a little extra space, uh, but, but again, that, that question I think will be better left uh, after we return. Now, you were commander on STS-135, the last shuttle mission, um, and now we're looking at seven years almost with no humans launching from U.S. soil since then. And it's kind of a symbolic thing that you're going to be the one who's returning, you know, to space from U.S. soil. Does that weigh on you? What's the responsibility you have? Well, I, every every mission I've had, I've taken it one one day at a time. I, I don't view my role as, although unique, I, I wouldn't say that I'm going to approach this with any more or less rigor than I did every one of my shuttle flights. This is more coincidental than it is anything else. Yes, I, I, I guess it, it is. Uh, it does have some unique aspects to it. Um, and it would be really cool to be, you know, one of the last ones to leave uh, and, again, one of the last ones to return to, you know, uh, bring human spaceflight back to the space coast of Florida. Um, as you may know, I spend an awful lot of time in, uh, at the Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral, much more so in Houston now, but I spent the last three, better part of the last three years here, and it's just electric. I, I love it. You know, there's no place in the world that you can get woken up at three in the morning with the sound of a rocket engine. And... Uh, we, uh, we routinely go up to the roof to watch just about everything launch. Uh, my son just graduated from college. He spends some time with me now, and, and we as a team go up, and it doesn't matter what it is. We'll get up and watch a rocket launch. So uh, being able to just say I'm a part of this is unique, but being able to be a really unique part of it is, is special, personally, for me. What do you miss most about being up there, up in space, on, on shuttle or on the station? Uh, you know, I... I Space is a magical place, and I, I remember when I f first took the job as an astronaut, I, I told my lovely wife, I just want to do this once, and, and I'll be ready to go back to a, you know, a normal Navy job or, or wherever I headed from there. And, and one thing led to another, and uh, it, it's a place that draws you back. Uh, when I left NASA um, six years, six and a half years ago, I, I never dreamed that I would ever go into space again. 
Um, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, I, I want to take Boeing, um, you know, on this unique journey and, and prove that the rocket that they've built, the system they've built over the last several years is as robust as, as they planned. And uh, just that triumph of being able to go up, bring it back, and uh, sort of declare, you know, the U.S. is open for human spaceflight again is, is uh, I'm looking forward to saying those words, let's say it that way. Yeah. Now you'll have some downtime when you're up there, I'm sure. What, what's the first thing you're going to do when, when you have a moment to yourself to kind of take it in? Yeah, I think the downtime might come after we've actually docked with the space station. Uh, well, I'm going to phone home for once because I happen to know there's a phone booth up there. <laughs> and uh, I want to, I'll, I'll certainly want to congratulate and thank the people who made this all happen. You know, this is, um, you know, in the, in the height of the shuttle program, there were tens of thousands of people involved. Uh, it, when you make it commercial, you want to make it cost effective, and it's a much smaller, compact team. So I wouldn't say that I know everybody who has worked the program, but let's just say that it's, I know a lot of them, and it's a much smaller team than it's been. And uh, I owe them a debt of, I will certainly owe them a debt of gratitude by the time this is all over, and just recognize their tremendous accomplishment, uh, all as a part of a commercial venture. So that'll be on the list. Thanking my family, of course, and my patient wife will be. Well, I better make that first. Let's put it that way. <laughs> now, as you mentioned, I mean, this is kind of groundbreaking work to have a, a commercial company working on a project like this. And hopefully, you know, this will happen for years to come. Boeing and other commercial partners like SpaceX will be sending astronauts up there. What's the outlook of, of the private space industry do you see going forward in the next 5, 10, 15 years? Yeah. Well, first, let me say I am. I am. I. I, I work for Boeing, but I am extremely um, their patience and willingness and stick to itness through what has been at times a challenging development is commendable. Boeing is so committed to following this through to a safe transportation system back and forth, and I. I, I take a lot of comfort in that. Right. That. We have not treated this as, you know, sort of a, a program that's just orbiting out in the periphery. This has been brought in as, as one of the major objectives uh, that, uh, that Boeing wants to be able to develop a commercial spaceflight capability to get back and forth. So that said, where does the, where does the future lie? Um, certainly, we're going to serve what I call our flagship customer, NASA, with safe rides back and forth to the space station for the near-term future. But there are other uh, there are other avenues. We have been approached both uh, from you know nascent space agencies throughout you know globally who are interested in, in becoming a, a part of human spaceflight uh, industry. There are industrial applications that uh, are being cultivated right now as we speak. Um, there are uh, other perhaps uh, tourism opportunities. Um, some people rank them up top. I really think that in order to make this a viable industry, we're going to have to cater to all of those potential businesses out there because uh, there's only so many tourists who I think are in the market for something like this and, and will quickly, I think, exhaust our opportunities. But, but I really do believe that there is a, there's a home base for um, international partners who want to join in and get in the space club, so to speak, and then for industrial applications and human research. Uh, and we have to continue the mission of the International Space Station as well. Um, you know, before too long, the ISS won't be a, a, a part of human spaceflight. Um, you know, we hope that that is a decade or two away, uh, but we need to also cultivate what's going to replace the ISS, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of great work being done there, and we do not want to divest ourselves of low Earth orbit. We've got to maintain a presence. Mm -hmm. 
do you think that you are just going to be one of the few private astronauts, or do you think there's many more to follow in your footsteps? Yeah, good question. I've, um, I've, um, I've discussed it with my former colleagues in a couple different ways. I, I said, hey, you could look at this as we are developing a career path for an astronaut, where uh, just like a military pilot comes in and learns how to fly a military airplane, serves his country for a few years in that capacity, and then goes on to fly in the commercial airlines. So he really becomes a professional pilot, right? A lifelong professional pilot. We could be creating a, pure, a, a career path where you know, NASA teaches astronauts, and, and then they, they go on and work in, in private industry, not unlike airline pilots do. So now that would probably be a broad stretch, and the, you know, the job opportunities are probably not certainly as plentiful as they are being in commercial airlines, but, but that's, that's a path. Another one could be is that these um, private companies maintain their own small astronaut corps. Uh, training astronaut is complicated, right, and it's a very niche business, so to speak. The medical aspects of it, the, um, you know, how do you live and work in space. Um, I would think that either uh, commercial companies would borrow NASA astronauts to act as surrogate um, company people, so to speak, or they would, they would hire them directly out. So, but, I mean, this is, this is years down the road. You know, we're trying to envision what a business will look like uh, as, it, as it emerges into, you know, what really will become Boeing's second 100 years of, of, of flight. I won't even say, you know, commercial aviation because it's now, it's very broad now. Now that, after that first mission you told your wife you were just going up once. Obviously that didn't happen. <laughs> You've been on multiple shuttle missions, now you're, you're heading up on, on this one. Um, what does your family think about this, this new venture that you're on? Well, I have, a, uh, I have a son working for Boeing out in El Segundo building satellites. I have, uh, I have another son who uh, actually works at the Cape uh, building the new facility that ULA, who builds the Atlas V and will provide us our ride to space, uh, they're um, rolling on a new uh, Vulcan rocket, and, and he's working on the infrastructure for that. So we do have a lot of this in our family. Uh, my daughter's also an engineer, and uh, uh, so we, we, we do, we enjoy this. Um, it, it has stressful moments, and I think there are, like I said, some moments where I think my wife had, you know, would wish I had picked a different career path, but it is what I do. And, and I think, when, personally, when this is all over for me, I'll consider my career complete, and uh, I, I never anticipated the opportunity to go again. So I, I think I'm going to have to hang up my astronaut wings when this is all over. And finally, you know, as I mentioned, we're just a few months away from that flight. What's going through your mind? Anxious, excited, nervous? I mean, what's an astronaut like a few months <laughs> from his flight? Uh, well, I would say there's no time to get nervous now. There's still an awful lot to do. Um, at this point, it's um, introspectively, I'm asking myself, what have we forgotten? Not, not in terms of what, what did we leave out of the vehicle, but what really, what is going to happen? Try to anticipate a brand new system from soup to nuts, from launch to landing. What, what have we forgotten as a, as a Boeing team? and then you know, make sure we remember everything we need as a, as a flight crew team. So um, yeah, it's just, it's filling in all the little holes. We've taken care of the big part, but like I said, it's back to just putting the icing on the cake right now. We wanna make sure we cover every square inch. We've been speaking with Chris Ferguson. He's Boeing's astronaut. We'll be flying on the Starliner. Chris Ferguson, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thanks, Brennan. Special thanks to Boeing's communication team for setting this up, and a big shout-out to listener TJ Cooney, who suggested the question about Starliner features on the shuttle, which elicited a good question from Commander Ferguson. If you've got questions or ideas for upcoming guests, 
let me know. Email me at arewetheryet at wmfe.org or hit me up on Twitter. I'm at SpaceBrendan. You can follow this program at AWTYMars. Get it, Are We There Yet Mars? And you can also search that same phrase on Facebook and like us there as well. While you're at it, be sure to rate and review this podcast so more people can explore exploration with us. Support for Are We There? You comes from our listeners. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more space news online at wmfe.org space. And until next time, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. <laughs>